the most important part is is thinking about the future of the language like okay what do we add how do we evolve the language into what people want it to be and what the community needs it to be and so on hi and welcome to pod rocket i'm sean i'm part of the engineering team here at log rocket and joining me today is ajwal sharma a compiler's hacker for agalia TC39 co-chair, JS internationalization co-editor, and on top of that, a core collaborator for Node.js. So welcome to the show, Ujwal. Hello, thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for joining us. So among those many things that I just said that you have on your plate, um, one of those was a compiler's hacker for Agalia. So can you talk a little bit about what it means to be a compiler's hacker? Uh, well, yes, thank you. Uh, so... Uh, I, I, I tell people that my job is uh, to hack on compilers, which means that, uh, so maybe a little bit of background about Egalia, uh, if you don't know about it. Uh, it's a free software consultancy. We work on all sorts of software from, I don't know, the Linux kernel to JavaScript engines and, and everything in between. Uh, and, and my team specifically focuses on compilers. These are, at the moment, JavaScript and WebAssembly compilers primarily. Uh, also starting to get into some more uh, sort of non-webby compilers like LLVM and so on. But generally, the idea is to build programming languages and to work on infrastructure that runs code. Uh, in, in different contexts and different platforms. Uh, as you mentioned, TC39 already, my job, more or less, is to focus on the programming language side of things and uh, make sure that JavaScript is fun and easy to write and so on. Uh, and then later, uh, a lot of these features are implemented within the engines by my colleagues. Uh, but yeah, overall, as a team, the... Uh, the, the simplest description would be that we add features to JavaScript, we add features to WebAssembly, uh, things like async await or, uh, you know, temporal. Uh, and yeah, like a lot of that involves hacking on these compilers like V8 from uh, Chromium or SpiderMonkey from Firefox. Uh, and, and a lot of that is just like designing how the features would work or uh, how, how infrastructurally it would work and so on. So it sounds like Egalia is very connected to the open source community. Did you first join T39 and then Egalia or what was the order there? Right. So that was that was complicated, uh, but, but certainly interesting uh, because TC39, see, is... Uh, in in some ways, a closed off body. It's not so easy to get involved uh, uh, as uh, you know a person who's interested in these things, which is partly uh, something that I've been trying to address in the last couple of years now. Uh, but essentially, there's only a limited amount of involvement that you can have as an outside collaborator, which I did have before I joined as an delegate, quote-unquote, uh, from Igalia. Uh, for a while, like in university, I, I was doing a bunch of open source. Most of that was uh, in in Node, as you mentioned previously. Uh, 
then I jumped on to sort of the more engine parts of Node. At this time, I was writing uh, a bunch of compilers code in uh, V8 specifically. And yeah, I, I found out about about Ecalia, sort of started getting a little bit into uh, TC39 things as, as I could uh, find. But at some point, it seemed that, yeah, I, I would need to join as a delegate to make an impact. And yeah, then Bigalia uh, hired me. So f for the first few months, I was working as like a student, uh, just doing unrelated projects in, in WebAssembly land and so on. And then uh, I, I decided to start working there first uh, part-time as like working on TC39, but I was still studying. And then after I finished university, I started working full-time. Nice. So it sounds like you have started as like a tinkerer as a student. And when did you realize that this could kind of become a career path? And then I guess also, what would you recommend to, to others who are sort of interested in contributing to that space? Right. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's a great question. Uh, I, I, I did start off like just doing stuff, just tinkering, just passing time at university for the most part. Uh, within When I was working on Node, uh, the turning point that like, uh, I, I, I'm trying not to make it into some sort of story, uh, but the turning point happened when uh, there was a Node Collaborator Summit in Berlin. Uh, ideally, I would not go. Like I was a, a random student. I, I like writing code. I was doing that. I wasn't interested in, in going out and meeting people. Uh, but there was a few things that I was working on back in Node which would uh, benefit from more discussion. I could get more involved in some things. And generally, it was like... Uh, it informed to me that it would be a good idea to come. And and somehow everything worked out. Like, I have no idea how I managed to end up in Berlin all alone at, like, I don't know, 18 or 19 uh, with with no idea. Like, I never traveled internationally or anything before. Uh, but it worked. So I, I went there, and that sort of opened up a lot of possibilities for me. Now I realize, okay, how, how cool it could be to to go to all these events and meet people. Uh, a lot of people I, I met would end up like giving me great ideas. And uh, some of the people from the V8 team from Chromium were there uh, who would go on to like help me out a little bit to get into the code base. And, and then from there, I... I uh, I realized, okay, like this is a career path. I could uh, generally, I don't know. At the time, I was thinking, okay, I'll, I could get an internship at Google. That's that's what I, uh, I I'm looking for. And uh, then over time, I realized uh, many things in in the technical space. I, I started to know more about like my own interests. And uh, I found out about Igalia. So I, I thought, okay, this is maybe something that's more up to my speed. Uh, and yeah, so I applied to be a sort of student developer over there, see how things go. Uh, and I, I, I felt really good during my student months. So I didn't even finish like my tenure. Uh, so yeah, it, it's called the coding experience program where we uh, 
try to immerse students in open source projects in areas that we work with. Uh, but it was a little bit restricting for me because I, uh, due to the rules of the program, I couldn't work on things that Igalia was uh, working on like as a project. Uh, and uh, well, Igalia does a lot of things in JavaScript space, which means that I was limited in the space that I was passionate uh, about. And I was like, because of that, working on WebAssembly. Uh, but I couldn't make myself not work on JS. So I started dabbling still in DC39. At some point, somebody was so frustrated. It was like, let's just hire this person and uh, put an end to this. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think in general, the takeaway from me is to socialize, meet more people. It's, it's of course, great to write amazing code. And, and you know, you could spend all day uh, solving problems. Uh, but the, the, the connections that you make in the real world are, are usually really helpful to, you know, show you completely unexpected, uh, ideas or, or, you know, introduce you to different directions that you could take. Yeah. I think having those mentors is really important as well, because then you meet people who have been down the path and just at least makes you believe for yourself, at least in my experience that, you know, what your goal is attainable enjoying the podcast consider hitting that follow button for more great episodes but you mentioned tc39 i think it could be important to back up for a second for the listeners who might not be familiar um i guess just define what tc39 is and what impact does it have on the kind of day-to-day work of developers right uh so tc39 in my top list of most descriptive names ever uh doesn't say anything about what it does uh it is, it, well, the name says that it's the 39 Technical Committee of this uh, European Computers Manufacturers Association, which also doesn't say much. Uh, but essentially, it's a committee of people. It's a committee of different, uh, of, of people who come together from different organizations, which is important because uh there's a limited number of invited experts that are acting as sort of individual free agents here. Uh, everybody else is a delegate from from some member organization like Mozilla or Igalia. Uh, and these people meet and work together in order to specify JavaScript. So this means uh, making any changes. Of course, we cannot remove features from the, uh, the JavaScript language not to break the web. Uh, Although sometimes we, we have to, uh, and it's it's uh, quite complicated. But the most important part is is thinking about the future of the language. Like, okay, what do we add? How do we evolve the language into what people want it to be and what the community needs it to be and so on? Uh, and so anything new that you write in JavaScript, any changes that are made to the language are governed by this committee. And, and so I think it does... Uh, affect the the day-to-day of JavaScript developers in many ways. People use Babel, for example. Like the the whole idea of Babel is to is to keep up with all of these things that are happening in TC39 land. Uh, and so yeah, if you use async await, if you use any of the newer features, chances are that somebody sitting on TC39 right now uh, worked out these features and designed them and uh, at least tried to make them easier to uh, 
make the language easier to write and and the features easy to use. And, and you mentioned moving JavaScript forward to what the web wants it to be and um, the community. I guess how do you achieve that balance of of giving giving developers a, a more advanced and modern JavaScript, but also I guess is it a balancing act because you you don't want to change it too fundamentally, right? Yeah, it's it's definitely a balancing act. I mean, uh, we we definitely do not want a a Python three, uh, uh, and and one of the important reasons we cannot have it is because we cannot break uh, the web. Every JavaScript code that was written, like uh, every piece of JavaScript that was written ten years ago, should technically still be working uh, right now. Uh, Although some of it is non-standard, so it's uh, more complicated than that. Uh, but uh, the thing is that there's all these different stakeholders in in the committee, right? There's huge internet companies like Google. There's uh, browser vendors like Mozilla. There's uh, big internet companies that just do internet content like uh, PayPal, Uh and uh, Salesforce, and there's consultancies like Egalia, which are just uh, doing work and acting like as a buffer between their clients and the community uh, and the committee. Uh, there's uh, OpenJS Foundation, which tries to uh, put forward the, the uh, act as representatives of the open source community of JavaScript. Uh, so there's all these different stakeholders and TC39 does not vote on anything. TC39 does not uh, roll forward with things and instead works on consensus, which means that every single feature that is designed by this committee and it is approved by this committee needs to satisfy all these stakeholders. Now, of course, there's the question of representation. Is the entire community appropriately represented? And many would say not yet, and, and that's something that we need to work on. Uh, but overall, I think the the committee already reflects a a, a large spectrum of, of JavaScript practitioners and, and researchers and so on. And yeah, I, as a, a, the act of getting consensus around these different features is essentially a balancing act. You know, everybody has different priorities. Some people... Are, are are quite uh, passionate about security in, in JavaScript and sort of working in that area while other stakeholders care less about them and uh, care about maybe usability and ergonomics. So it's always complicated. But I feel that uh, if the, the, the features that you're working on uh, are... are needed and and people feel that they're needed uh then there's always ways to work forward this is not like a paralyzing condition where uh this makes us unable to work uh and and a great example of that is the temporal proposal uh i'm not sure if you followed that uh but uh, there's so uh, there's so much support and there's such a strong consensus behind temporal, uh, which is a great indicator uh, of how widely requested it is. Uh, across all this, the, the spectrum of the uh, committee, as well as the community, I feel that uh, you know, people have essentially shed their, their uh, bad blood and, and come together in support of this proposal uh, across many aisles. 
yeah, it's good to see so many different people coming together and having a shared interest, uh, you know, despite, you know, coming from different backgrounds, some maybe company or, or as your, as a guy as a consultancy, but all, uh, agreeing on, on something. And so what, it, what is, uh, the temporal proposal for, for people in our audience who might not have heard of it? Right. So, uh, temporal, uh, to introduce temporal, one must introduce a date in JavaScript. So d- JavaScript has a date object. This date object was uh, was done on like it was part of the first draft of the programming language. It was done in uh, around 1995, and almost completely. I, I wouldn't even say inspired by because it's it's almost a complete copy of the Java date object, and so the Java date object in 1995 was already controversial for being terrible, for the lack of a better word. So JavaScript already started off at the wrong foot. And as time went on, people and, and people started using JavaScript for more and more serious applications, I, I think it became more and more evident. Uh, by the time uh, a, a lot of the, uh, the, the newer batch of the current developers would have rolled around. I, I think Moment.js was already the status quo where nobody would ever use like raw date. That was just a bad idea. Uh, everybody hated it so much. And I could, I could uh, go for Martin Luther and, and nail a list of complaints, but that's belaboring the point. The point is that things got so bad. Uh, so there, was, there were many iterations. Uh, first, people tried to sort of damage control data bit that didn't completely work, that worked a little bit, but uh, with varying results. Then moment happened and that went on for a bit. And then everybody got quite upset about the bundle sizes and then uh, Luxon and and sort of date functions and all these. But uh, all of this was always like a a cruel reminder of the failure of the JavaScript language that a, a, a... Powerful, as we'd like to say, and popular programming language such as JavaScript has god-awful date handling system, uh, which is something which is quite widely used. Like it's not, it's no atomics. It's like there's real users of uh, date out there. and and that was sad. So some of the uh, like a, a subset of the maintainer group of Moment.js uh, came together with a bunch of interested people in TC39 and decided, okay, this needs to be done. So Temporal essentially started off as uh, a, a vision of what date should have been. Uh, a way to fix date and, and sort of restore order to provide uh, a decent API, maybe not as powerful as to uh, fix the world, but serve as a decent solid basis for date time applications. Basically an API that would not make people instantly hate the programming language. Uh, and and then it, it went in all sorts of directions. Uh, which, I mean, yeah, a lot of us are quite excited about. We used to joke about adding support to for time dilation in Temporal. Uh, well, that's, um, I, I, at least for now, it's still a joke. Uh, but that's, like, the, the idea is that Temporal went from there, like, as a, as a replacement for what date should have been, to, to so, such a far 
point in in that it's i i i think i could uh i think i could safely assert that is the most uh futuristic uh sort of powerful daytime api right now it does so many things including things like uh third party calendars custom calendars like you know you could totally operate within uh, the hebrew calendar and and not have to worry about anything like it would just handle that it does of course things like time zones which are more expected these days uh but yeah more or less the the temporal proposal has pushed the dates and times space uh so far that i'm right now uh well before this call and and uh after this uh i i've been working on the update to the to the well known timestamp format to to make some changes that would uh you know sort of uh push the space forward and and allow more interesting things to be done well well i'm certainly excited to get to play with it uh and it's funny that you mentioned moment because i think every javascript project that i've ever worked on has included the moment JS library. Uh, so it's cool to see that you're getting the min- maintainers of that library involved. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcast. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right, back to the show. And I guess I'm curious like, about the life cycle of sort of a proposal. Like, do these do they get to the point where they're implemented um, and you can kind of mess around with them? Or are they more, are they more like specifications that you gather a consensus on? And then if if people agree that it's worth doing, then you go ahead and, and implement it. Yeah, I, I think the life cycle is very, very uh, variable. It, it depends uh, from case to case. Like, uh, since we've talked so much about Temporal, Temporal is a great example because it did start a while ago. Uh, and... Only now it is uh, at the point where it's being implemented uh, more or less across uh, all the engines that we know and love. And I feel that by the end of this year, it, it would be in, in all major browsers. Uh, but all this time, like, you know, if you, if you think about purely in terms of start date and end date, uh, Temporal would be a very long proposal, uh, but that ignores the fact that Temporal is also probably the biggest proposal, like size-wise, that has happened in JavaScript yet. Uh, you mentioned at the start that I was the co-editor of the internationalization part uh, of the language. Just as a reference, the Temporal proposal, which is just a proposal, is larger than the entire internationalization uh part of the whole programming language. So, and that has like a, a bunch of constructors also. So uh, you, you can imagine that, you know, even though Temporal has taken a while, this was not like, it, you know, we didn't catch any slack during any of this time. Like the, the uh, small 
group, the sort of subcommittee that is working on Temporal was constantly at work. Then there's proposals like decorators. Uh, I, I didn't know, don't know if you heard, but decorators recently finally happened. So like it's at stage three, and uh, which means that now it will be in uh, your favorite browser soon. Uh, but the 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 point is that it took like I don't know over ten years now. Decorators has been here forever, and we keep discussing it. But uh, it was just stalled for so long because nobody agrees about it. Everybody had, uh, of course, all sorts of opinions about it, and it was so hard to to convince everybody to go ahead with uh, a, a particular version of it. Right, like TypeScript would. Uh, prefer a certain version that would fit well with TypeScript and then others who don't necessarily write TypeScript or care about it and and want a different kind of decorator that does different things uh, would, would uh, they, they prefer that. So there's all sorts of different uh, life cycles. It depends on on the proposal and like how controversial it is, how much work it needs to be uh actually put in uh but yeah the as as i mentioned like there's a stage process so uh, there's a stage 3 where we decide okay like we've designed this and and sort of specified this written every single character in our cushy chairs uh and and this is ready to to be in the wild and, and uh once ev- something is at stage 3 we usually never change it unless it is uh, in, in in respect to like feedback from the implementation. Like maybe Chrome comes to us and says, uh, this is just impossible to do. Like, uh, what are you talking about? Or, uh, or the community feedback. Like, uh, what if somebody comes and says, okay, you've designed this feature and implemented it, but it's completely unusable. So uh, you need to go back to the chalkboard. Uh, but unless either of those things happen, we usually go ahead with it. So uh, stage three is usually a good indicator of now this feature is being implemented or is already implemented. And once it's implemented in in a, a few uh engines out there and we're happy also with the specification text. So that's an aspect also uh, we say, okay, this is a part of the language now. This is published and it goes on to stage four, which is the final stage. So is it is it fair to say like stage three is kind of like a staging ground where it's pretty much set and it's just giving time to the, the browser vendors to, to implement the features? Right, exactly. Like it's just a buffer phase between uh, design and, like, yeah, this thing exists to to be sure that, like, okay, did we do this right? Or like, uh, there's also some leeway for, as I said, the community. Like, you know, we could realize after implementation and everything, uh, but before stage four. So that means that it's not technically. A, a part of the JavaScript language, like it's not safe to use this right now. Uh, but the idea is that maybe we'd realize uh, for for some proposal that, okay, this was a mistake. Like this is not right for the community. Or maybe the community would inform us that, okay, this is 
completely unusable or this is not beneficial uh, or this is a, a something that we call in, in TC39 lingo a foot gun, like it's uh, harming the user. So yeah, in, in those cases, we, we do reserve the ability to, to call it back. But uh, in, in general, that, that doesn't happen. I mean, uh, usually the, the vetting process to get to stage three is harsh enough that whoever gets to stage three is, is more or less guaranteed to be part of the language. Got it. And there's another area where uh, TC39's been making a lot of progress is this area of concurrency. And so you recently gave a talk, multi-core JavaScript, past, present, and future, um, at a few conferences this year. Uh, can you give us an overview of why it's important to understand JavaScript's history of multiple cores? Yeah, thank you. Uh, so this uh, th this talk that I gave uh, was another one of my attempts to get the community to somehow tap a little bit into the inner workings of TC39 and sort of how this weird shadowy lobby group is operate, operating. Because people hear about all the proposals. And when you hear about like huge self-contained proposals like Temporal, I think it's, it's, it's good and it's fine. It's easy to get excited about them. But it, that doesn't apply to everything. Uh, in general, when JavaScript was created, like computers work very differently and CPUs work differently. I remember uh, when I was younger, like being completely obsessed uh, with the numbers, right? So I would, anybody talking about their computer, uh, okay, how many gigahertz? Like, what's the frequency of the CPU? Now, nobody cares about the frequency of your CPU. Do you know what's the frequency of the CPU of your mobile CPU? Nobody cares uh, because there's so many cores in, in our computers uh, these days that we don't need huge cores with a lot of frequency. We can, this allows us to easily split up work and, and also have like uh, different cores, some of which are sort of weaker, but low power, low heat cores, uh, and so on. So like the newer M1 MacBooks, uh, if, uh, if, if maybe you're using one, ha have like 10 cores or 12 cores, and these are all sort of heavily optimized for different kinds of workloads. So, so this is the direction that the that the hardware industry uh, took, but uh, like well, not, not unfortunately, but because JavaScript was created in in a completely different era of computing, uh, this means that it's not well adapted to write code, which uh, effectively utilizes this new hardware. Uh, there's a lot of work that we're doing in order to enable JavaScript to to be native to multi-core environments and, and make the best uh, of, of this hardware capabilities. Uh, but all of these things are happening in sort of dissociated proposals, right? So you hear about, let's say, the structs proposal and, and somebody, t a, a, maybe you're at lunch at work and, and somebody tells you, oh, hey, TC39 did structures. And you're like, okay, it's fine, I guess. Sounds like a decent language feature, uh, but why? Like, okay, are these people just adding stuff to the language for the sake of adding stuff to the language? And that's not the case uh, because uh, 
yeah, we're we're advancing proposals one at uh, one at a time, sometimes simultaneously, but like uh, you know, focusing on them uh, individually. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a coherent picture, and and so this is what I try to point people towards in the talk. I, I try to tell them, okay, how are all these different proposals connected and how they are all taking us towards a, a common goal, which is we need to run uh, uh, the core JavaScript code on, on multi-core hardware efficiently. Uh, the process essentially, uh, which the talk as well as well, normal TC39 discussions take is, well, what do we have and what do we need in order to get there? And then let's break what we need into like as many tiny proposals as we can and advance them. Uh, so yeah, that's that's more or less what I try to convey in in the talk. It's not the most practical talk, I would say, because it only really talks about features that do not yet exist or, or sort of vaguely tries to talk about the concepts of multi-core programming and concurrent programming, but not really go into anything practical. But I, I, I hope people like the, the fact that they have uh, a little more insight into the, the workings of the, this committee. Yeah, I learned uh, a ton about like a history of concurrency in, in JavaScript while, while watching it. Uh, and yeah, it's, it does seem like there, there's no more free launch uh, in terms of like the, the free speed up gains as computers get, uh, you know, higher clock speeds as we're really going more in the direction of, of more cores now. And I guess that puts uh, more of the, the burden on, on software developers uh, to take advantage of that and, and harness that. Um, so I guess like um, for going into, going into watching that talk, I knew about, that there was like this web worker thing and you can do something and spawn it off in a different thread and then kind of wait for it um, to finish. And, and then there's also this atomics um, feature set. Um, I guess, how do you see those two things kind of coming together and like, what is TC39 like planning to do? I guess you kind of alluded to this as like in the future in terms of like providing different types of, of concurrency approaches. Right. So, uh, I mentioned in the talk that there are essentially two different approaches that you can take to concurrency in JavaScript. There's a, a sort of more webby approach where you can encapsulate everything in promises and, and asynchronous calls and uh, not really have to deal with with the uh, well the the in code lingo logistics of how these tasks are actually executed and so on. There's a you're assuming that there's a good event loop uh, implementation that the implementation is backed by. In in most cases, that would be the case, uh, unless I don't know your your users are running uh, your JavaScript code on a smart fridge. Probably, maybe not. But overall, it it, it works out. Uh, then there's another approach, uh, which is quite a bit more complicated, at least in my experience and opinion. Uh, which is the sort of more traditional multi-threaded approach. And and this was before like uh, ML and actors and, and all these things uh, existed. Like this comes all the way from Sealand where people had raw uh, threads and, and they could run arbitrary code on raw threads. But 
you know, like everything with C, uh, you had to do like you had to deal with everything yourself, and you might be open to like very nasty bugs or uh, data races, and and you had to synchronize yourself. The the modern thread like approach to concurrency in JavaScript is not quite as uh, wild as as the original C approach that it borrows from, but there are like some some uh, in 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 some way you could say uh, some flashbacks to that era where you have things like atomics which are hard to use. You can use them to synchronize your code, but it's not ergonomic, uh, and I would not expect any. Uh, average JavaScript developer to be able to reason around atomics, I cannot. Uh, so, so it's sort of a flashback, also in that way, that uh, it's it's an immense, uh, complicated space, immensely complicated space, for really no reason. Like it could be made way more ergonomic, and and it can still remain more or less as fast as it needs to be. Now. It's another story how I, maybe I'm skeptical of how uh, fast it would be. But uh, overall, I, I, I think uh, we need to improve a lot, especially on the second approach. And this is where, like, as you said, atomics or, or uh, web workers come in. Like, web workers are such a, a huge improvement over like raw threads that C used, or I, I think Python still uses. If you don't use anything like Twisted, which, yeah, again, even loop implementation. So, uh, yeah, I, I think in order to make any of these tenable for developers, we need to do a lot of work. We need to introduce a lot of uh, tools. We need to introduce uh, a, a lot of uh, mechanisms that people can utilize to uh, more co uh, confidently, I, I feel, at least in, in the second domain, write code because it, it makes uh, a, a lot of people really nervous to to be able to use things like atomics. Yeah, and, and you gave a, I thought it was a really good metaphor in the talk. Uh, it was a, a picture of a sign that said, you must be this tall to write threaded code. And it was pretty much at the ceiling. Uh, I thought that was funny because I think anyone's written threaded code has encountered like just really strange and confusing bugs. Um, and it's just simply as harder, harder to write the non-threaded code. Um, and do you feel that there's, uh, that users will, and users of the web will inevitably be exposed to a new class of, of frustrating bugs, like deadlocks or in, in data races? And I guess how important is the, is designing uh these concurrency primitives in, in JavaScript correctly to to prevent that from happening, or to at least reduce it as much as possible. Yeah, I, I think it's inevitable if we do not uh, explicitly avoid it, and I, I would like to explicitly avoid it. Uh, uh, I, I, I mentioned in the beginning, like my university days, where I was sort of working on all these open source projects. Uh, one of the reasons I hated to do my classes was that because we had to go to classes and uh, draw Gantt charts in order to understand like how to write multi-threaded code. Uh, in a, in I, I'm not sure if my university is representative, uh, but I would say that the average uh, computer science grad would spend like at least one or two semesters 
just learning how to write multi-threaded code and not like completely destroy everything, learning about locks, learning about, I, I really hope nobody is drawing Gantt charts. Uh, but uh, yeah, that's, that's the reality of this space. If you're writing operating systems, you probably care about these uh, things. But I feel that like one of the reasons I'm so motivated about JavaScript is that I, I, I think it's a very approachable programming language. I think it's very easy to pick up and it opens up so many possibilities for you. It's not a to toy programming language like Scratch. You can learn JavaScript. Uh, you can teach JavaScript to kids or to uh, uh, adults uh, and, and they could build really useful things right off the bat. And uh, I, I, I personally, and, and I think uh, there's a bunch of people who agree with me on the committee, that we need to preserve that. We need to keep JavaScript as, as a good approachable programming language. And that will not be the case uh, if you have all these complicated ways how to write code. I mean, this almost technically happened during like the whole uh, Angular days, like the the, uh, the 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 Angular one days I'm talking about, where like already it felt that JavaScript was getting so complicated and, and people were dabbling in all these things. And then ES6 happened and then like now I feel the JavaScript is much easier to write. Like if you, I, I feel that somebody who, who writes JavaScript today doesn't even have to care about prototypes for the most part. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but this is like, you have to understand that these are conscious choices by this committee who, who are constantly trying to make the, the uh, language easier to read, easier to write, and, and easy to learn. Uh, and of course, nobody's perfect, but there's a lot of feedback from educators and researchers and uh, otherwise like community members, which guided uh, us through the ES6 days and, and hopefully they'd continue to uh, give us feedback during this multi-core evolution era. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I hope that we come up with with the solution that can utilize the hardware uh, and, and not sort of sacrifice on that without being really complicated to to get into or, uh, you know, even read code. Yeah, no, I think JavaScript was, you know, the first language that I learned and I, I found that it was, um, you know, relatively not that intimidating to get into. And I think modern JavaScript is, is so fun to write. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I think I... I think it makes sense to prevent uh, making like concurrency, like a, I guess to avoid introducing a foot on, like you said earlier. Um, but before before we wrap, is there anything that you want to plug, or, or I guess where can we find you online for our listeners? Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah, this has been really fun. So uh, you can find me online uh, at Riza Cookin. Like that's my username everywhere uh it's spelled r-y-z-o-k-u-k-e-n and yeah that's that's me on twitter or, or github whatever if you want to rant about my proposals or or my code uh and yeah tc39 uh, has their website on tc39.es uh you can also go from there to our chat rooms or 
whatever or GitHub, I would be very happy if, if people get, got more involved, I'd be happy to help as well. Uh, so yeah, feel free to get involved or just hit me up directly if you have uh, any requests or ideas about what we could do next and, and so on. Awesome. Well, uh, yeah, it was really great having you on. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.